HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Coming this spring, we're working on something big for opening soon. Opening a restaurant can sometimes take months or even years. But this spring, you'll be able to hear it in just a few hours. So tune in as we follow one of Brooklyn's best and brightest young chefs and restaurateurs on their journey from start to open doors. It's the build. Subscribe to Opening Soon from Heritage Radio Network, wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. pandemic gave Anna took from us. Focusing on the upside to a worldwide pandemic may seem unusual, but in reality, the COVID era gave birth to some fresh ideas and many creative businesses. Some of those have since turned permanent. Our guests today are chefs Sarah Misfagel and Ben Lesbader of Loaf Lounge in Chicago. Sarah and Ben have worked at many of Chicago's best restaurants, and the concept for Loaf Lounge was honed during a pop-up during the pandemic. And now the Bread Forward Cafe is delighting diners, including our family of four bread enthusiasts during our recent trip to Chicago. Welcome guys. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Same, excited to have you. We had, we ate all the bread. I'm like, we ate all the bread. (laughs) All the bread, all the sandwiches, all the cookies, all the cake. All the the things. All the things. Um, With our Alex carb loading for the marathon. So it was sort of perfect. Yeah. Um, but huge congrats on the opening. Tell us about the opening journey of, of Loaf Lounge. Thanks. Um, I don't know. I'm sure with everybody else, like just like everyone else, the pandemic kind of made everything take a different, unexpected sort of path. Um, we had been talking about opening a sandwich shop as a, a couple for a really long time. And then we started to get really serious about it towards the end of 2019. Um, like that's kind of when we had called our real estate agent and had started asking him to find spaces for us. Um, and we'd gotten kind of more focused about it around that time. And then, um, we sort of put it on a brief pause around March of 2020 when everyone put their life on a brief pause. Um, and sort of after a couple months of being worried and scared and wondering what we were going to do and, uh, things like that, we kind of sort of regrouped and decided to keep cautiously moving forward. And yeah, then we eventually found 
the space we're in now, it was like late summer 2021 was the first time we saw it. Um, and yeah, we just kind of barreled through from there. Like I, I had a good feeling about the space. Ben and I both really um, liked the neighborhood. We liked being in the physical space as well. And we felt like it had a good amount of uh, production space, which is really important. Like bread takes a lot of room. So we wanted some place that had sort of a small dining room, but a very large kitchen. And we found that here. So, um, so yeah. Awesome. Now, it's, so it's interesting because again, yeah, pandemic changed a lot for people, but we haven't had many, anybody on the show yet. I think that like really did pop-ups first and then use that concept. So tell us a little bit about that. You guys were doing a pop-up at Supercana and then that is, was that how you sort of fine-tuned the idea? Yeah, honestly, it was kind of a, so our friends at Supercana were doing sort of, they were doing a lot of pop-ups. They have like a thing on their website that said they existed in multitudes, which I kind of always think of and I thought was really cute, but it was, you know, they were still doing dinner service and brunch, but then they were doing like pop-ups on the nights that they weren't open. Um, and they were kind of using their space as a communal kitchen for other people that were um, like doing spice blends and selling them or doing other um, specialty dinners and things like that. And there was a friend of ours, that had been doing bagels. And when she had announced that she was leaving, we kind of realized, like, we're like, oh, if she had the space to make bagels, there's probably space to make bread there. So we contacted Yoshi and Zishan and asked if they'd be interested in having another, um, like, bakery-focused um, pop-up in their space. So we ended up doing weekends when they were doing brunches. We were just selling, like, loaves of bread and danishes and some small stuff that we thought would complement their existing menu without being um, kind of conflicting with it. And yeah, it was honestly, it was something to keep us kind of busy. Like everyone was very stressed out during the pandemic and we didn't know what was happening with our lives. And as industry workers and people that are super dedicated to our jobs, I think that we felt the need to fill the time with work. Um, so it felt good to be working on something that felt like it would eventually lead to op us opening up our own business um, and kind of doing some informal recipe testing of some breads and some products that we thought we'd eventually want to see at, um, a full service loaf lounge. So that was the plan the whole time was to sort of test and build towards a permanent space or it just sort of came about that people fell in love with it. And so you felt like it was, the demand was there. Yeah, I think that was the plan from, from the start. Cause we had, we had already begun our search for, for brick and mortar spaces by that time. And so like what, what loaf lounge would be was still kind of, uh, getting turned over in our, in our brains, but we, but we were sure that it was going to be something. Um, and so it was a really good opportunity for us to, uh, like Sarah said, like kind of test out some recipes, test out some ideas and kind of like get things off the page and, uh, and, and actually into the, into the world. Yeah, we like kind of had an idea of what sort of neighborhoods we wanted to be in. Um, and the neighborhood that Supercana is in is actually, it's super close to where we are now. Um, and it's a neighborhood that we'd always liked a lot. So we kind of just also were curious to see what the neighborhood thought of, I don't know, going to pick up fresh bread on the weekends. And how did you, like, I know Chicago has, like, a lot of different neighborhoods and, and they're all, you know, you're sort of separated by driving or such as that or the commute I know the driving is you know hectic nightmarish even for someone who doesn't <laughs> like being in a car we um, are as New Yorkers it seems like everything's much further than I don't know 
You know, how did you peg neighborhoods? What were you looking for? Were you looking for, you know, young families that were living and working in their neighborhood? Were you looking for a place that was close to a commuting spot? Like what, what kind of things make sense for a bread and, and sandwich uh, restaurant? Uh, we always wanted, we always wanted to be a neighborhood centric uh, place, like having, that's just kind of part of what we enjoy about living in, about living in a city and what we wanted to kind of bring to whoever, our, whoever our, our community, our localized community ended up being. Um, so we had, we had a few different neighborhoods that we're attracted to just cause we, we love them. Um, at Avondale, which is where we are, uh, was always towards the top of that list. We just, we love it over here. Um, uh, but but yeah, Chicago. Chicago is definitely like a city, a city of neighborhoods, and um, I can I can understand why it would feel like things are spread spread out. Uh, but but you get used to that, and and you come to appreciate it. And uh, it's um, I don't know, it's great here. And so you guys are open. Are you open all day long, or are you close? Do you close early evening? Uh, we open to the public at 8 a.m. and then the kitchen closes at 2 p.m. And then we stay open for, for coffee and pastries and grab and goes till, uh, till four. What time do your bakers have to get there? Um, we usually get here around three or four, um, depending wow. on the day, usually four during the weekdays and then um, in the mornings or three on the weekends. Wow. And is that you, is that you, Sarah, are you still going every day at 3am or do you have a team? How's that, how's that working out? Uh, ben and I are both here at three and four um, every day. Um, wow. And I do have a baking team, which is really great. Um, but honestly, there's just so much, I mean, we call it a bread centric cafe. Like everything is based around um, bread and pastry production. So there's, there's a lot. And I've, I know we sell a ton of loaves of bread and the more I feel like, you know, there's sometimes there's a couple loaves of bread at the end of the day, but for the most part, we sell out around noon. Um, so kind of as much, as much bread as I can make will get sold. Um, so we sell a ton of breakfast sandwiches. Um, and those are on, most of them are on English muffins. The one, uh, the ones that are not on English muffins are on croissants. Um, and the English muffins are kind of like a tag team between, um, the paste, the bread pastry team and Ben. Um, so like the bread and pastry team will like mix the English muffins and then they do a bulk ferment overnight in our coolers. And then the next morning we come in and we portion them, um, shape them and like roll them in semolina. And then we bring them over to Ben. He lets them proof and then he griddles them and finishes them in the oven. So on the days, like on weekend days, when we know we're going to sell like close to 200 muffins. We have to come in early to get that process started because it's probably it's like an hour of each of our days. Like I have an hour of the portioning and shaping and then he has like an hour of the um, griddling and finishing of them. Wow. wow. All for the muffins. All for the All muffins. For you, the guys are, you guys are co-chefs. How do you, so you alluded a little bit, but how do you split the, um, the duties in the kitchen? We kind of right now have fallen into the, you know, Ben has a significant amount of savory experience and compared to my almost zero savory experience. <laughs> um, so I've worked Garmo a couple times at different restaurants and that's about the extent of, of my experience. But um, so he is definitely spearheading the savory program and I'm spearheading the 
um, the bread and pastry, but there's definitely crossover and he and I both want to learn more about the other person's program. Like Ben is very good at bread and he knows all that stuff, but he doesn't have time to have his hands in it the way he'd like to right now. Um, and you know, like I know when Ben's really busy, I can't like hop on the line and do certain things, but I know that I can clean kale for him and I can, you know, there's certain like prep projects that I know I can, um, take on. And I know there's like certain other ways that like, I kind of kind of like help him as like a backup, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not on the line. <laughs> Nobody needs that. <laughs> I know, right. It's like, it's always good to stay in lanes. Yeah. Um, is there, okay. Well, I have two questions. First is how many different breads are you guys making every day between the bread and the pastry? And is everything, everything that's like white car- carby bread and pastry is all made in house by you all. Correct. Yeah. Um, so for bread, we have three different breads that are for lunch sandwiches. There's English muffins and croissants, and that covers what's on the uh, breakfast sandwiches. And then for the retail loaves of bread, we have, sorry, I have to count them. Um, so there's country, jalapeno cheddar, multigrain. I'm doing a pumpkin loaf right now that's got like pumpkin and uh, red curry in it. Um, caramelized onion, olive polenta. Marble rye. Marble rye, seeded. Um, and there was an oat for it, so it just came off. So somewhere around like eight to 10, depending on. Oh, and then we do a focaccia as well every day. Oh my gosh. Bread. Loaf <laughs> <laughs> Lounge is aptly named. Yeah. Do you have a wholesale program or is that something that you've thought about for a future? No, we we were it's a it's a continuous topic of conversation. We we're never gonna be for space reasons, we're never going to be able to have a really large wholesale program. So we're never going to be like in grocery stores or anything like that. But uh, our ideal <laughs> uh, idealized plan would be to be able to provide some like friends restaurants with bread or right. or some other spots on the sh- on the street with with bread. But but for the moment, just kind of a pin in it while we just kind of focus on what fleshing out the ideas we have that exist under this under this roof before we before we uh try to get it elsewhere yeah we believe in focus always comes up tell us take us back a little bit to from from going from like a pop-up in a friendly space to opening your own how did you guys put together the plan and the financing and stuff did you do personal investment or did you bring in some of your customers from the pop-ups or did you do loans what kind of got you from a space to reality uh, yeah, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> all of, of all of those things, like we all definitely, we definitely had some a small personal investment. Um, but a lot of what we entered the business with was, um, I guess, equipment that would be counted as collateral. Um, so the pandemic was terrible for everyone, and a lot of restaurants closed. And I spent a lot of the pandemic sort of combing. Uh, Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist and looking for restaurants that had closed that were doing like liquidation sales. So we bought a a lot of used equipment during the pandemic. Like the first thing we bought was we have a 60 quart um, Hobart mixer that we use for bread. And we bought that from a steakhouse that had been in Chicago for like 50 years um, that had just, the guy was like, I'm I'm tired of this. I'm moving to Palm Springs. Um, so he sold us his mixer for a thousand dollars. I was like, oh all right, holy shit. That's we just were, we had the storage space and like every couple of days I would like, you know, and Ben and I were working tons of just sort of 
odd jobs. Like we were doing whatever we could to make money and um, just kind of help. And also a lot of restaurants needed help. So we wanted to help our friends that needed help. We needed money. But like every couple of days, like Ben would be at work and I'm like, okay, what time are you leaving? Like, we got to go to this weird address. And there's all these mixing bowls for four down. (laughs) 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 There was a lot of like, I don't know, going to the pizza place that closed and buying 40, 12 quarts and just buying a lot of that stuff adds up. Like hotel pans are so expensive. Um, like, so I don't know if I found someone that was selling them for $2, I just bought all of them. Like there was a lot of, um, personal investment. We had like a very full storage space by the time we actually found a location. Um, we have a small investor group and we got an SBA loan. Wow. That's amazing. And it's, it's so smart. It's so true. It's like there has been a lot of turnover and it was a really, it probably still is. I know culinary agents also has like a um, used equipment. Thing oh, really? On their site. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And um, a marketplace for used equipment, but, um, but Facebook marketplace is so smart, but uh, yeah. So, so great way to be crafty. And then from when you guys got the space, how long did it take you to build out and, um, and then flip it into turn on, you know, flip it into open. We signed the lease in January and we opened in August. Wow. So when I say it like that, it doesn't sound like a terribly long time, but it felt like a very long time. Yeah. It was, it was was painful. Were you guys doing a lot of the stuff DIY style or did you have a contractor full team? We had a contractor that was spearheading the build out for us. Um, and we had um, a good friend as a mill worker and he was doing like our, the build out for our bar um, and some stuff around our pastry case and the, the countertops. He did tables for us as well. Um, yeah, it was just like kind of an interesting process because we signed the lease and we're moving forward without knowing if we'd been approved for the SBA loan or not. Wow. Um, and we also hadn't officially finalized fundraising. Um. Yeah. The, the, the sequence that the it. process forces you into is really uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm not sure what it's like in New York or what other experiences you've heard. Like you may have heard this a million times before, but I, it's, it seems so strange because like no one will even start, no one will engage with you in any kind of like fundraising process or with any bank loans unless you have an address. Like you can't say like, oh, I'm going to like, to me, I'm like, oh, I wouldn't sign a lease on a space unless I had money for it. But nobody wants to talk about giving you money until you have an address. <laughs> so all you can do is kind of have like these vague conversations. We're like, oh yeah, that would, that seems right. Um, yeah. But there were, there were a bunch of moments where it's just like, well, this is a leap. This is, <laughs> this is a leap of faith and crossing my fingers. And, you know, mm-hmm. let's talk about worst case scenarios. If, if, whatever doesn't pan out but but yeah there was no way there's no way to put that into a lease or something a stipulation based on the loan payment to no it's it's crazy like i mean i guess that you know landlords don't care where you get your money from they just want to know that you get money and you give it to them um but it's just really strange that you can't start any kind of like loan process without having an address well since it took us so long to start the loan process then we didn't know that we were approved for it until like probably close to half or two thirds through our build out. Yeah. The, ti- the timing was the timing with all these things was wild. Like we, we, we had to, you know, sign on with our contractor before we knew we could make the first 
payment. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Was there so a backup plan? Was, was it like, I'm going to sell my house or I'm going to like sell my mom's house? Like, what, what, what was the plan? What's the thought? I'm going to go to Mexico. I'm out of here. Like, <laughs> yeah. We basically just had a lot of conversations with our lawyer who's great and we trust very much and has not steered us wrong. Thank goodness. Um, about like, you know, we talked about all the doomsday scenarios, but like, we don't have, you know, collateral. We were just like, you know, we had, you know, a 60 port mixer and Ben has a 2013. Like we have three dogs. Like I don't <laughs> know yeah. for, yeah. for a lease payment, but, um, but yeah, so it was even, even making the choice to sign the lease was really scary. Cause like, I am definitely like, uh, I trust my intuition and I think I have good instincts, but it feels much scarier to do that with your, I mean, Ben is my family, you know, like to say like, I, feel so strongly about this that I am going to like potentially take down my whole family um, was really terrifying. And Ben is very um, thoughtful and pragmatic. And he, I think has very good intuition, but he is less likely to make a big jump like that because it doesn't, you can't logically track it on paper, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so he was very, it was kind and I didn't feel pressured by it other than the huge pressure of our whole life. But he's like, I need, he's like, I need someone to guide me. He's like, if this feels like a good idea, I need you to say it and tell me it's a good idea. Um, but I don't know if I would do this if you didn't tell me it's a good idea. Um, so I kind of just had to like, I don't know, close my eyes and be like, okay, this is a good idea. We're doing it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I felt like I would have done it anyways. Cause I just, I felt a connection with this space and we had our heart broken about so many other spaces before that I was, you know, he and I were talking about what would happen if we didn't open the restaurant um, and what our lives would look like if there was no loaf lounge. Um, and yeah, we just, I just felt like this space was, was it. And um, then we went out to Chinese food with our friend uh, that lives in New York now. And I got a fortune cookie that said, you will take a chance and it will pay off. And I was like, well, the cookie said. Did you frame the, did you frame that fortune cookie? Um, it's in the um, my phone case. I have a clear phone case, and I look at it every day. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. See, sometimes things are meant to meant be. To be. And I'm yeah. glad it all worked there was out. There a lot of, like, hard but real conversations about, like, where are, where are we as a family, as professionals, if this fails? Yeah. Fails before it starts, fails a month after it opens, like, all the sort of stuff, and it's just, like, you know, at the end of the day, we both kind of decided that, like, as a family, we'll be, we're okay. Like, uh, but, you know, we both decided that it was, we'd rather give it a shot and, and blow it than walk away and never try. So mm -hmm. it just kind of. And it, yeah. I mean, yeah. You lose every shot you don't take, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. We have some really good friends um, in St. Louis that own Balkan Treat Box, uh, Lauren and Edo, and they have been hugely um, supportive and motivational, and they're just really wonderful people. And we had one, and they did everything themselves. Like, they did basically their whole build-out. They painted, like, they did the whole thing. And I remember calling them being like, okay, what if we only have, <laughs> like, one-eighteenth of most people's budget? Then what would we do? And they were, like, strategizing, like, okay, you do this, you do this, you do this. And then Lauren was like telling me, she's like, there were so many nights that I just like sat on the floor of the restaurant and cried and wonder if I was ruining my family's life. And she was just like, so if you do that, then you're doing it right. You know, so I was like, <laughs> every time that if I was ruining our lives, I'm like, this is what Lauren did. And Lauren's a success. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> 
and your lives are not ruined. Everything is fine. You're pumping out bread. (laughs) Are there like budget decisions that you guys had to make? Like, are there things you wanted to do that you weren't able to, or were there like workarounds that you guys found? Yeah, probably tons. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to like pinpoint them because it's just, I mean, we're, we're business partners and life partners. So like the conversation is just kind of like, flow constantly and we're always just kind of like maintaining being on that same page about like well what do you want to do with the you know four dollars that we have or or you know we didn't have a designer or anything like that so we made a bunch of those sorts of decisions just kind of uh as it as it as it came together um so i mean this is i'm i'm super thrilled with the way things have come together but but certainly if a person had a either a bigger or more stable or more predictable budget, they would not have necessarily made a lot of the choices that we, that we made. Um, yeah. Like we'd gotten some tables initially, like one of the closeout sales that we went to was um, Mindy Siegel was closing hot chocolate so she could reopen down the street as a bakery. Um, so she had tons of furniture that she didn't need. And we bought so much stuff from her. She was so kind. Um, and so helpful with all this. She like let us, she bought, she sold us stuff for super cheap and then she let us borrow her van to bring it over here. And (laughs) she was amazing. She was like, just, you need it, get it away from me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but there's a ton of stuff that we borrowed from her that we ended up getting from her, like these tables that were so stunning. Um, but then we put them in the space and they were these big, dark, um, wood tables and y'all have been in here. It's like bright and sunny and light wood Mm -hmm. and we got them in here and we're like, okay, well this would work, but we'd really like something that looks more like the space. So then we, after we'd gotten the tables, then we got approved for the SBA loan. And then we realized we could actually have our mill worker do custom tables for us, which weren't crazy expensive, but you know, when we thought we had, you know, negative money, um, we couldn't do it. So there was a lot of stuff like that where we had like done a scrappy version, realized we didn't have to do the scrappy thing and then sold it. Um, or repurposed it into like a different space in the restaurant um, and then got something that was suited for us. Um, We bought a used bread oven because that was less expensive than buying a new bread oven. Um, So that was one of the first things to go in and they had to like take out our whole front window. Um, And it was really cool to watch. There was like this (laughs) semi hauling, like a three deck bread oven down the street. They had to take out the whole window and forklift it in. And then they put that in and then basically they did the build out around the bread oven. Um, Like the bread oven is securely in place right now. There's physically no way to remove it from the restaurant without knocking down several walls. Oh no. So the bread oven is staying. The bread oven stays. Um, But it was still cheaper to do that than it was to buy a new one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We got a water heater from the same person. Like, I don't know. It was also really sweet. Like I know the chef community and, a lot of places can feel very warm and very welcoming. And um, I feel like the community here was very kind to us. Like, um, I don't know, we got like a really wonderful uh, Jade Titan range from Paul Kahn um, for very inexpensive. And then he wow. came through and he's like, what else do you need? Do you need plates? Do you need a water heater? Like, <laughs> you know, so once people realized that we needed help, they were all very excited um, to help us. And we're, I don't know, that it was very impactful and I'm very grateful for that. I love the scrappy community mentality. That's amazing. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. 
Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Awesome. Should we do our order fire? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I will kick it off. We do essentially 10 questions. Um, There's short answer questions for the most part. Um, And you guys can each answer this one. What's your favorite menu item? Cali veggie. Oh, that's what I had. It was delicious. I love it. It's so good. (laughs) The Capicola is my favorite. Capicola. Capicola. Go ahead. What is the most ordered menu item? Sausage, egg, and cheese. Second Always. place, the bear cake. Does that run all day? Uh, Till it, sell, it sells out, which is based on the quantity of muffins. Got it. And then number two is the bear cake. Right? Yeah. We didn't talk about the bear cake yet. Yeah. It's just a giant slice of chocolate cake featured yeah. in the bear. It's <laughs> delicious. What is the best food cost item? Uh, good question. Probably the sausage. The sausage, egg, and cheese. Maybe, maybe the kale. One of the know. breakfast sandwiches. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, full, full disclosure, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I believe in tracking food costs, and I and I do that, Matt. But it's it's uh, I haven't. Uh, it's okay. Well, you didn't know this was going to be on the pop quiz. It's yeah. a tough one. And it's yeah. also probably a bit distorted, especially in your business, because it's very heavy labor cost, I would imagine. I would imagine your, if you broke down your labor cost on your English muffins, it would probably cost a little more than Thomas's <laughs> English muffins. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, factoring that in is probably a challenge. It is, but it's like so much of the stuff is honestly like still just Sarah and I. So it's like we're kind of. Yeah, you know, where you're not free, man. You're not free. You're Don't part of the equation. Yeah, that's right? we are, but we're 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 yeah, we're we're always. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What's something that you're doing to make your business more sustainable? Um, it could be, you know, in any sense of the word. Um, I hope a lot. I mean. We're working towards health insurance for for staff. We're trying to be competitive. I mean, we're we're a sandwich shop. We're, we're counter service, and uh, we're the average ticket. I average ticket is somewhere in the twenty dollar range or whatever. So we're not bringing in, you know, fine dining level money, but we're trying to compete uh, with with wages that that those sorts of restaurants would would offer. Um, so in terms of like 
the first thing I think about these days in terms of sustainability is just like what do you what are you doing for your labor force? And so we're we're trying to just keep the the, the whole industry is changing and and I think in in a lot of good ways. And so we're we're trying to keep open ears and open minds about what we can do to keep it moving in positive directions. And as, as we transition into different roles in the industry, like how do we keep in touch with that sort of, those sorts of sustainability issues? Yeah. And we definitely do like a, a monthly meeting with all staff. Um, that's kind of loosely based on a practice that they did at giant that was called working, not working. Um, and sometimes we have specific things like, Oh, we're going to talk about the holiday menu or we're going to talk about dates where we're closed. But for the most part, it's just an opportunity for all of us to get together and for every staff member to um, have a space to say what they feel like is working and what's not working. Um, and I feel like they've been really helpful. We've gotten some really good feedback. And I think the more of them that we have and the more our employees realize we do want to hear their voices. And even if they, you know, when they give us feedback, even if it feels like it's negative, that we still want to hear it. So I think that with each meeting we have, they feel more comfortable and they feel more confident in knowing that we're not there to hear us talk. We're here to we want to hear them talk. Um, yeah. And so hopefully that's making um, good open lines of communication. And we do that every Monday morning with wins and fails. The team <laughs> loves and hates it, but it's always, we always workshop great ideas from it. So I'm a big fan of that. Um, what, are you guys able to run with one staff with, cause you're five days a week or is it because of the overnight production you need shifts? I kind of count them all as one staff. Yeah. Like we definitely have staggered end times. Yeah. We're planning on opening on Mondays um, in the new year. Um, so that's going to force us to add some other people. But as of right now, um, yeah, I think. Yeah, we, all, we also have like a lot of uh, part-time people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so it feels like it feels like a lot more rotation just because. Um, again, that's like one of the ways that the industry is changing, I think, is that uh, individuals, uh, individual hourly labor is kind of coming to you and saying, you can have X number of hours for me a week. And that's that's my maximum, mm -hmm. um, which which is uh, potentially a great thing. Um, but it definitely makes scheduling a different beast than anything I've dealt with before. Wow sense our um our next question is around employees and i think you guys pretty much got that covered so i'll go with something lighter um you wake up at three in the morning to be in the shop what time do you go to sleep at night <laughs> what time we go right to bed now? are you ready for bed right now like what's uh give me the schedule my dream is to go to bed at six o'clock every night <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it but that doesn't happen um so usually like 7 30 ish is when we get to bed um, we also have three dogs. So like getting home from work is then like, okay, taking care of dogs, going for a run, feeding ourselves. Um, so like, even if we're like, yeah, we got done at five, what an early day. Like then we still don't really get to bed until eight. But yeah, yeah. six o'clock is the dream. Thank you. That's my dream too. I, <laughs> I, don't I, love, I love sleeping. <laughs> That's literally Alex's dream. The earlier, the better. Um, Tell us your worst building or developing moment, aside from the the night sweats about getting that SBA loan. Mm, for me, it was, we had 
you know, every city has like a version of like, you know, task force is what they call it in Chicago, where all of your city officials come in one day. And like, so fire safety comes, um, we have a liquor license. So um, the liquor commissioner came and did a, a map up of like how many people we could have in the space, um, you know, and then the health inspector comes and the health inspection was last. And this person came in and she was so sweet. And she was like, it's great in here. It's so beautiful. I love it. Y'all passed. And we're like, great. And apparently the, this person had told Ben while myself and another one of our friends was out of the room that her boss would be coming in to double check her inspection. So oh, yeah. I didn't know that anybody else was coming in after her, but Ben had known. So this guy comes in and this woman had already told us that we passed. And the guy like definitely is like, he looks like he's trying to find a problem. Mm -hmm. um, and then he looks up and he's like at these pipes that are in the kitchen. And we are the first floor of um, a building that houses like two additional floors of apartments above us. And there were water lines running through there. And he's like, these all need to be covered, which is fine. You know, we cover them. It's not a big deal, but it's like, it's so heartbreaking to have someone walk through your space and be like, it's beautiful. You passed. This is great. And then have someone come in like 45 nope. minutes later and be like, I don't know what she was okay. talking about. You did not pass. <laughs> that is really deflating. It's like, I don't know. And then he took so long sitting in the corner, typing up his report about how he failed. And I'm just like, leave Ugh. so I can cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get out of here so we can curse and all the things. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, for me, that was the worst. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, what about the most influential role model within or outside of the hospitality industry? Oof. Hmm. That's a big question. Yeah. I don't know if I have an individual. I think I think Sarah touched on, on a general vibe that we got you know, throughout our process that just like, like we, there are a whole bunch of different people we could point to and, and just say like, we would not have gotten open without, without, you know, the following 10 people who may or may not even know each other, but it's like, you know, there were just so many instances where like people came through either with equipment or, you know, clutch advice or, uh, or, you know, contractor's name or, I don't know. It's just every single, it feels like every, every day was this like dramatic fork in the road. And, and, and we were fortunate to have a bunch of people kind of uh, pushing us down what, what I hope was the right, <laughs> path, what felt like and continues to feel like we're the right, we're the right paths. Um, it's just, it, it really does. I mean, it's like a, uh, an overused phrase or whatever, but it really does like take take a village to, to get anything done. Sure does. How did you guys go about, you know, researching the path to get open? Did, did you get help from the SBA? Were there, you know, former colleagues that sort of let you in on, on the process or? Yeah, both. We, we definitely got some some good advice. Uh, Diana from Meet Sequoia gave us a whole bunch of good financial advice. Yeah. Um, and she's another person that is certainly on that first list of uh, people that you know helped us out in massive ways uh, but but also just like honestly a lot of no's <laughs> like yeah we went we went to we went to Chase Bank uh, for for our first crack at an SBA loan and we got we got shut down real hard real fast as as not 
not their appetite, but uh, but on the way out the door, basically one of the people that was involved involved in that was just like, you know, we're not the right fit for you, but here's here's six numbers you should call that might might be more fruitful. Um, so just in the process of kind of like, you know, getting shut out of certain things, other uh, other paths kind of present presented themselves in that. I don't know. I could I could go on for a while about the, S- about the SBA journey because it's <laughs> it's really uh, challenging. But um, you made it through. You made it I through. Mean, I, I mean, but that's true with any. Like I would say that to anybody who's looking to like raise money or look at funding options, just always talk to anybody who's willing to talk to you about funding. I found that when we were raising money for Tillit this past year for the first time ever, that we probably had fifty no's from different VCs and different funds before but they always led to other conversations and other introductions so it's always helpful to take the call regardless yeah definitely we were very grateful for I don't know there are so many again I could spend like 15 minutes talking about how grateful I am for certain people but like I don't know a lot of people gave us time that I wouldn't have expected and I'm we got good advice from every one of them Um, and I am very grateful for them what's one thing that you would tell a young hospitality professional or chef that was looking or thinking about the path to ownership? One of the things that I regret doing, I don't have many like big regrets, but like I wish that I would have spent more time um, honing relationships with my guests. Like when I was working at CPN Proxy, like I loved working there. I loved the staff. I loved everyone I worked with and for, like it was really wonderful. Um, But I spent so much time being in the kitchen. Like I would, you know, occasionally go and drop dessert plates and talk to people and, we had, we always did the James Beard party at proxy and I would like, you know, chit chat a little bit, but I never really like honed a relationship with um, like the investors and with the guests. And then when we were looking to raise money for here, it's like, there are so many people that were in those rooms that probably would have loved to invest, but like, I don't know how to contact them. Like I didn't have any rapport with them. Like I, that was like a huge, huge missed opportunity. And I think that, um, you know, your resume is important and like your work in the industry is important, but also, like, you have to build a relationship with people so that they would like to invest in you in the future because restaurants are a hard business. And one of uh, an investor in one of uh, Ben's previous projects had said, like, anyone that invests in a restaurant that thinks they're getting their money back or needs their money back is, like, kind of not in this business. You know, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. this is a place for people to invest that want to be part of a cool restaurant. You know, like, they, yeah, it's for themselves, it's for cloud, it's for fun, you know? And like those people want to know you first. They don't want to be like some guy just called me and asked if I want to invest in his restaurant. Um, so I think making friends with and building relationships with those types of people is important. That's, and to your point, I can't tell you how many folks you've had on the show after a hundred episodes that say that guests and diners were, were part of their investors for whenever they went out on their own. So that's a huge, great piece of advice. Yeah, because I, I hope I hope that someday we we live in a world where, where you know you can be a cook and somehow there is a financial path there for you to make that you know bridge into ownership. But I mean, the the truth is that that most I don't know. I, I mean, we still <laughs> live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. But like for my for my entire career, like there's there's no there's no cooking there's no cooking job that that is gonna build that uh that kitty big enough that you can take it on by yourself um and you know as we as we said like sba loans are also 
really time consuming and challenging. And we couldn't have gotten through that if we couldn't have afforded, you know, our lawyer to, to help us with that and what have you. So it's just, it's, it's, uh, the, the path isn't, it's not there. And, and, you know, we work really hard and I still absolutely recognize how many advantages we had in that, in that process that a lot of people don't. And it's, you know, so unfortunately being, being aware of, who else is out there to help you in general and financially specifically is just super important. Totally. I agree with that. Um, last question. What is your why? Why did you guys choose to open a restaurant? <laughs> I don't <Long> know. Ask us again in a year. <laughs> um, uh, I, I don't know. So. My parents owned their own business. Um, and so growing up, I, my parents were, you know, they were high school sweethearts. They were married up until my mom had passed. Um, they had the business up until um, my parents were unable to, to tend to it any longer. But um, I, that was kind of like the role model that I grew up with. Like there was a, a family business and my dad, it was so basically it was like an auto body repair. Um, my dad changed uh, windshields and my mom would do like the accounting and bookkeeping and stuff. Um, so it just kind of felt to me like that's what people do you know, and I, they loved it and they loved each other. And it seemed like a very healthy, um, relationship. And, you know, for us as industry people, we kind of, at a certain point realized that if we ever wanted to see each other, we had to work at the same place. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I just, I don't know, it kind of felt very natural to me that, um, us being at the same place would mean that we own the same place. And, um, I love that family business through and through. We, yeah. <laughs> we see you. We know that. You want to wrap us up? Yeah. Thanks, guys. This was great. Great uh, story. Great information. And we appreciate all the sharing and such. Um, how do we find Loaf Lounge online, on social, all that good stuff? Ooh, let me. Uh, online, we're <laughs> uh, loafloungechicago.com, right? Yes. Our website is loafloungechicago.com. Um, our Instagram is loaf underscore lounge and, uh, yeah, loaf lounge on Facebook. Cool. Uh, we are at, we are opening soon and at till NYC. Thank you guys so much. And thanks for listening. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Opening soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.